Welcome to EANCAST, your weekly source for education, research, and updates from the European Academy of Neurology. Hello, everyone. Welcome to EAN Webcast. Uh, I'm Nicolas Dubuisson, and I'm a neurologist working at the Neuromuscular Reference Center in Clinique Universitaire Saint-Luc uh, in Brussels, Belgium. Hello to everybody. I'm Amelia Evoli, and I'm working at the Catholic University in Rome, the Policlinico Gionelli, at the Reference Center for Myasthenia Gravis. And today we are going to discuss about myasthenia gravis and more specifically about the dilemmas for myasthenia gravis emerging therapies. So first I'm going to do a short overview about myasthenia gravis and then I will let uh, Professor Evoli speak about the treatment in more details. So let's start with uh, myasthenia gravis and some general information. So basically uh, myasthenia gravis is an autoimmune B-cell mediated disease uh, affecting the neuromuscular junction and leading to fluctuant muscle weakness and fatigue. Uh, in terms of epidemiology, the incidence vary from 5 to 30 per million inhabitants and the prevalence represents uh, between 10 to 20 cases per 100,000 people. In terms of uh, pathomechanism, uh, what is really important is that MG is a B-cell-mediated autoimmune disease, which then involves autoantibodies. But the mechanism leading to the selective production of these autoantibodies is still unclear. Uh, however, what is certain is that uh, the stimulus is affected in most patients with uh, anti-acetylcholine receptor. And among this patient, this specific type of patient, 10% uh, developed cymoma and more than 80% have thymus hyperplasia, thereby proving the central role of the thymus. And as uh, we already know, thymus is really important for the development of central tolerance by the deletion of cell-reactive T-cells. So if the thymus is deficient, of course, cell-reactive T-cell can, can create uh, a lot of problems. So in terms of autoantibodies, the ones that are important in myasthenia gravis are against extracellular or transmembrane proteins, and basically there are three main ones. All of them are affecting uh, acetylcholine receptor function at the neuromuscular junction, and basically they impaired the ionic transport across the muscle membrane and thereby reduced muscle contraction. So let's start with the first one. It's uh, anti-acetylcholine receptor antibodies. Uh, which is present in about 85% of a patient with MG and which acts by three different mechanisms. The first one is by activating the complement, uh, thereby implying some damage to the postsynaptic membrane. The second one is by antigenic modulation. It will accelerate then the acetylcholine receptor internalization and destruction. And the final one is by uh, blocking the acetylcholine receptor. The second autoantibodies is uh, anti-musk antibodies. They are representing about 5% of uh, Mg. And here, what, which is important, is that uh, this antibodies is an IgG4. So it's unable to activate complement, and that is of some importance when we are going to talk about treatment. Anti-musk antibodies are acting by masking the binding sites on musk, 
that normally uh, allow Musk and LRP4 to interact and then to imply the, uh, the postsynaptic density of acetylcholine receptors. Finally, there is also anti-LRP4 uh, antibodies, but the pathogenicity of these antibodies remain to be fully established now. And it's probably by disrupting LRP4 agrin uh, interaction that this antibodies is, is acting. But we need to have more information about that. Uh, in terms of symptoms, patients will typically report worsening of symptoms with exercise or as the day goes on. And initially, two-thirds of the patient with, will present with only ocular symptoms, namely ptosis or diplopia. About those patients, or among these patients, 75% of them will develop then generalized weakness, typically within the two or three first year following uh, initial presentation. And then bulbar muscle, respiratory muscle, actual or limb muscle can be uh, affected. So based on clinical manifestation, age at onset, presence of autoantibody and stimulus pathology, MGE can be classified in seven different uh, subgroups. And the subgroups reflect some difference in terms of epidemiology, disease mechanism, severity, and therapeutic response. So those seven subgroups are first early onset myasthenia gravis in patients having symptoms before the age of 50, and those are mostly women. Then there is the late onset myasthenia gravis with patients above the age of 50 and mostly men. Then there is thymoma myasthenia gravis, musk myasthenia gravis with um, usually a more uh, severe phenotype, LRP4 myasthenia gravis with a less severe phenotype, a milder phenotype, seronegative myasthenia gravis, which account for 10 to 15% of myasthenia gravis population. And finally, ocular myasthenia gravis, where patients have only ocular uh, symptoms. So now, in terms of treatment, a few years ago, uh, the treatment was only based on symptomatic treatment, just a couple of options for disease-modifying treatment, and then the treatment of myasthenia gravis. So I'm going to develop that and then I'll let Professor Evoli uh, develop the new treatment option. So for the symptomatic treatments, uh, they are limited and they include mainly uh, pyridostigmine. But the problem is that the response is variable and side effects might be limiting, mainly diarrhea. In terms of disease-modifying treatment, the first things to uh, do, of course, is surgical thymectomy for patients having having a thymoma or a simus hyperplasia. Then steroids can be used, uh, but mostly as a short-term bridge therapy to manage symptomatically the patient while we are waiting for other disease-modifying treatment to take effect. Of course, steroids are quick and effective, but uh, unfortunately, they have short and long-term adverse events, so they might be limiting at some point. And so we can uh, add immunosuppressant. The first choice is, of course, adathioprine or mycophenolatmophetyl. And sometimes methotrexate, cyclosporine, cyclophosphamide, and tacrolimus uh, can be also used. But all these options require blood monitoring and careful surveillance for side effects. Finally, in case of myasthenia gravis, which is a life-threatening exacerbation of myasthenia gravis, 
uh, defined by the uh, requirement to intubation or non-invasive ventilation, and that's account for 15 to 20% of the patient, then we can use plasma exchange or intravenous immunoglobulin, IVIG. And both treatments have similar safety and efficacy. And with that, I will let uh, Professor Evoli uh, speak about the new treatment option that make a real revolution in the therapeutic landscape of myasthenia gravis. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. De Buisson, and I'll take over with uh, in the new therapies for myasthenia gravis. Uh, in the last few years, new agents have become available and have been first used in treated patients with refractory myasthenia gravis. This term defined myasthenia gravis, refractory to uh, conventional immunosuppressants, as in spite of adequate treatment, these patients remained affected by disabling weakness or are dependent on high doses of steroids and immunosuppressants because of disease relapses treatment tapering with severe side effects. The rate of refractory myasthenia gravis is around 10% and is more common among patients with early onset SHR and G in patients with thymoma and in those with antibodies to mask. Enrituximab was the first biologic used in the treatment of myasthenia gravis. It is a chimeric monoclonal antibodies against the CD20 expressed on the surface of these cells up to their differentiation into plasma cells. Enrituximab is effective in most antibody-mediated diseases as B-cells have many important effects on the immune system apart from producing antibodies. In myasthenia gravis, in uncontrolled studies and meta-analysis, rituximab proved beneficial in any type of myasthenia gravis, particularly in mask and G. In these patients, the response rate is higher than 90%, these patients experience a very prolonged benefit that is paralleled by a significant reduction of serum antibody counters. On the other hand, in SHR and G, the response is less conspicuous and there is there are more often relapses with need for retreatment. The reason for this difference is in the different immunopathogenesis of the disease. As you know, IgG4 anti-mask antibodies are mostly produced by short-lived plasmoblasts that are severely depleted by rituximab administration, while ACHR antibodies are mostly produced by long-lived plasma cells that do not express CD20 and so are not affected by rituximab. At the moment, rituximab is recommended as early therapy in all patients with mask antibodies who fail the first short course with steroids. 
interfering with the effect of pathogenic antibodies or reducing their serum concentration are other new therapeutic options. As you know, complement inhibition has a strong rationale in SHRMG as SHR antibodies activate complement and through formation of membrane attack complexes cause severe damage of the postsynaptic membrane. And indeed, terminal complement inhibition proved effective in two large randomized control trials. Eculizumab and radiolizumab have been approved for the treatment of generalized SHR-positive MG. And uh, these are very uh, quickly active, effective drugs. Their use can reduce the need for a conventional immunosuppression and are generally well tolerated. However, Given the crucial role of complement in the defense against uh, capsulated bacteria, vaccination against Neisseria meningitis is absolutely required in our patients to be treated with complement inhibitors. And the last group of novel therapies target the so-called FC neonatal receptor, which is responsible for the prolonged half-life of IgG and albumin. These agents are modified IgG with a very high affinity for the neonatal receptor that compete with the IgG reduce its recycling and so lower IgG serum level, including the pathogenic antibodies. F-Vertigimod is the only agent so far approved for the treatment of generalized myasthenia gravis. It proved effective, but data on long, uh, safety data on long-term uh, follow-up are still not published. So, what can we say? Uh, of course, uh, this novel treatment represents a tremendous advance in myasthenia gravis management. They are quickly effective, are well tolerated, but there are still important challenges. Inhibitor of complement activation and IgG recycling actually do not impact on antibody production in myasthenia gravis. So they cannot perhaps be defined properly disease-modifying therapy. On the other hand, the experience with the different effect of rituximab in different energy subtypes has shown how it can be difficult to impact on the disease immunopathogenesis, particularly because we do not have at the moment reliable biomarkers of disease activity. There are new drugs now tried as B-cell depleting agent in myasthenia gravis and the results of this ongoing trial that even target the antigen-specific B-cell may shed light of this mechanism and they show us how it can impact really on the disease pathogenesis. How do you see the possibility to use 
FCRN inhibitors like Fgartigimod, for example, as first-line therapy because then it could decrease all the adverse events we have with uh, steroids. And then we might also, even in, in uh, phenotypes that are not that severe, but we can then allow the patient not to have steroids for a long time and then maybe cut the disease quite early in the, in the progression. What, what is your view about that? Actually, uh, you can reduce antibody titers and considerably you can improve disease symptoms. And very quickly, with uh, inhibitors of the uh, FC neonatal receptor. However, as I said before, you do not impair, do not uh, lower the antibody production. So you should do this treatment for a very long time to maintain the disease under control. This is the problem. Without a form of immunosuppression, antibody, pathogenic antibodies will continue to be produced indefinitely. So you have to treat and retreat these patients for years, for uh, all their life. This is the challenge. This is another challenge. If you combine the Fgartigimod with conventional immunosuppressant, that might be a good deal, or...? Oh, yes. I think it could be a good, a good idea because you need some sort of immunosuppression in order to reduce antibody titers, but with the help of these agents against the neonatal receptor, you can obtain a very you know, important reduction of serum antibody titer that is will function as you know, a, a plasma change, a less aggressive plasma change. So it yeah. would be very useful. But then the problem is the price, of course. I guess. <laughs> the very long use of these antigens. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much for your attention and I hope you enjoy this presentation. Of course, myself and Professor Evoli are available for any additional question you might have. Have a good day. Bye-bye. This has been EANCast Weekly Neurology. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcatcher for weekly updates from the European Academy of Neurology. You can also listen to this and all of our previous episodes on the EAN campus to gain points and become an EAN expert in any of our 29 neurological specialties. Simply become an EAN individual member to gain access. For more information, visit ean.org membership. That's ean.org backslash membership. Thanks for listening. EANcast Weekly Neurology is your unbiased and independent source for educational and research-related neurological content. Although all content is provided by experts in their field, it should not be considered official medical advice.